Today we have Dwayne Armstrong, who reached out to a friend of ours um, and wanted to talk to me because I made a statement saying that I didn't believe that the pharmaceutical companies in the midst of uh, COVID were in the health business. Instead, they were people over or profits over people. And Dwayne and I had a long conversation. And Dwayne, I really, I really am appreciative that you're you're doing this interview because Dwayne brings a, a very good perspective. He has worked in the pharmaceutical industry for 34 years. Correct. He retired from the industry 2000. Do I have that right, Dwayne? Right. Uh, and he also uh, was in marketing for drugs for J&J subsidiaries. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh -huh. Okay. So, Dwayne, I guess what we want to know is the industry that you knew when you were in it for 34 years. Let's talk about the ethics and the principles of the pharmaceutical industry at that point in time, because you thought that, uh, you know, even that, that there was a time when pharmaceuticals were really in the health business. But you also have honestly said to me that, you know, what you're looking at right now in terms of the rollout of the COVID um, shots, that something is also wrong from your from your experience in the past. So tell us about the ethics that you witnessed and practiced um, and your colleagues did during those 34 years. Sure. Well, I worked with uh, two different uh, pharmaceutical companies, uh, both of which uh, I can I can say truthfully were very very enjoyable years. I worked with a lot of very very fine people, very upstanding people, uh, people that had uh, very high integrity, and I was very proud that I was in a career that really did so much. Uh, to make people live uh, healthier and longer lives. There's no question about that. Uh, pharmaceuticals have added a lot to the life, lives of a lot of people, many, many people. So during those years, uh, both in sales, sales management, marketing management, I observed nothing but the highest of ethics and standards uh, in, in the organ both organizations that I worked with. I have um, nothing negative to say whatsoever. Uh, I saw it uh, demonstrated basically every day. Uh, I've been away from it, you know, for a, a few years now, and I have uh, I've had no reason to believe that it has been any different since I left the industry. The industry has changed a bit in a number of ways, but I've had I've seen nothing that would indicate that there's not still much much integrity. When it comes to the current situation with the vaccine. When, uh, when the vaccines were first mentioned as a, as a possibility, the warp speed, all of that, I was very much on board. I knew that it would be a challenge to get a vaccine out in the short period of time they were talking about. But if something could be produced and marketed that would indeed uh, treat and um, do away with the virus, I was, I was all for that. I was a little bit concerned, obviously, with the speed with which it was going to happen, because that's not normal. Uh, it many, many more years uh, for that to happen. When the uh, product did come out, the, the, the vaccines did come out, I still had no questions. 
I looked at the at that point the information made available by the manufacturers of their vaccines, and I saw nothing that would that would raise a red flag. Of course, I didn't. I was not able to do a deep dive into the details because that's not what happens when you look at a package insert. You're getting pretty much an overview. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was still okay with that. Uh, I, I looked at it and I thought, okay, it looks okay. And I have no reason to believe that in the in the in the clinical studies that the companies did, I have no reason to believe that that they weren't done appropriately. I can't I can't say they weren't. Uh, there are standards that work are worked out between the companies and the FDA to make sure that that protocols are followed that. Along the way, there are scheduled visits to make sure everything is going according to where it's supposed to go. So I had no problem with that whatsoever. I believe there's probably a lot of integrity there. When the uh, vaccine was made available, uh, I, I did take both of the uh, Pfizer uh, vaccines because I was still okay with it. I started to have real problems as we started hearing uh, reports of uh, patients receiving the vaccine and still coming down with COVID, still getting the virus. And also hearing about the, the adverse events that were happening with the vaccines. So that's when I started having some concerns that something just wasn't quite right. I wasn't what, but I wasn't, I thought something just wasn't right. Is that because of the number of adverse uh, events that have been reported to VAERS? Uh, I mean, were you led to believe that if you took the shots that you were not going to get the disease and you were not going to transmit it? Was it the communications that were coming out from the leadership at the FDA, Fauci, CDC? Well, yeah, if you, yeah, right, right up front, this was touted as a vaccine that was going to stop the virus. Now, first of all, let's let's go back. These are not vaccines. They, right. they don't have a definition of a vaccine. They're not vaccines. Right. No and, and, and but did you believe that they were vaccines when when you were getting it? Oh, yeah. Right up front. Yes. Yes. So I, when I, you got your vaccine, did you ask them about the possibility of adverse effects? Did you well, feel that you had informed consent? Because I had read I had read some literature, so I felt OK with it. Yeah, OK. I, OK. Uh, I, I felt, yeah, there's always a risk with any injectable, mm-hmm. but ha- I knew that it had gone through some enough clinical studies that it should show um, adverse events of a certain level. And if they were more than that, yeah, they would been concerned. I didn't see that. So when I took the vaccine, I took it under, under the belief that it was a pure vaccine, that it would indeed stop, stop the virus. Stop transmission, you mean? Stop and stop, transmission, yeah. Stop stop the disease and stop the transmission both yes right 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 so it, when when did you receive your shots january so you got them early january february right up front right up front all right so at that point in time you believed uh you had informed consent you expected that yeah there was a possibility because it's an injectable right. there could be adverse effects but you had you felt with your background and your reading that um that it was going to stop it and it was going to, you know, you were not going to be transmitting it to anybody else or anybody else who got it would not be transmitting to you. That is correct. 
So at what point in time did you, did the curtain go up? Was it months later? Was it recently? We're now, you know, right before the day before Thanksgiving. When did you become concerned? Um, I, um, I guess reports, I do a lot of reading. I, I, I do a lot of research, if you will. When I, I'm very interested in the topic, obviously. Sure. So, well, everything that started coming across from different perspectives, from different physician groups, uh, physicians themselves, virologists, epidemiologists, um, the anecdotal reports. Because now, once the vaccines were made available, we're now into a phase four situation, which means it's now widespread usage, and we're going we're going to get reports of both efficacy and the safety. That's what what happens with the anecdotal information from doctors are now using it in widespread uh, usage. And I started hearing about reports of patients on um, the vaccine getting the virus. Mm-hmm. And uh, which didn't make any sense. And also I started hearing about some side effects, uh, adverse events, not just side effects, but adverse events starting to show up. Some of them quite, quite uh, severe. And that's when I started really wondering why all of this was happening with a reportedly effective vaccine that had been adequately tested for both efficacy and safety. And of course, that was the way it was presented by our national medical and political leaders, that it was going to stop the virus, stop the transmission. And so that quickly became notice, noticeable that that just wasn't true. What had been advertised just was not true. So I really started asking questions then. I started doing a lot of looking into what other people were saying online, very reputable people, both in this country and abroad. And I came to the, the conclusion, and of course we now know, uh, it's been told to us now so many times, this isn't, this isn't what it was touted to be. It does not stop the uh, disease. It does not tr- uh, stop the transmission of the disease. And it can also have severe adverse events. So with your background, Dwayne, in the era when you were still employed in the in the pharmaceutical industry, with the numbers that you have seen, with the research that you've done in the past, what would have happened at this point in time? Would they have taken this off the market in the old days? Oh, I believe so. I, I believe so. So when you see that they're not taking it on the market and they're making it mandatory and mandatory for children as young as they're going to start doing testing on, on two months old, six months old up. All right. Uh, what's your reaction? Oh, okay. Um, First of all, th- this this thing this thing is so wide. It, it, there's so many layers to it, so many uh, tangential things involved, politically, medically. Um, it's hard to describe it, but let me go back to my experience. When, when products, products are on the market for efficacy, but they're also to be as safe as possible. 
my experience in the industry was products on the market that uh, started demonstrating severe reactions, severe adverse events, were immediately looked at, investigated, and when deemed to be inappropriate, were withdrawn from the market. And they were withdrawn from the market with far less AEs, AEs than we're seeing with the vaccines. Can you give us some examples? Because when you and I spoke in the pre-interview, you mentioned two of the drugs that, that actually had been pulled in the past or were susceptible to being pulled. Give examples to the public where they have been pulled. Well, as we know, uh, Vioxx was one that everybody remembers, of course. Um, and if you go back to thalidomide, remember thalidomide? That, uh, yeah. Uh, there were two products that we had uh, one was called Zomax, one was called Suprol, very, very fine pain relieving uh, products, excellent products. And during the clinicals showed no showed very good efficacy, very clean safety profiles. As they were marketed in, into the general population, we continued to have excellent uh, results, both from efficacy and safety. And then all of a sudden, with, with each one of them, and there was a separation of a couple of years between the two products, some uh, patient problems started showing up that did not show up in the clinical studies. They were rapidly investigated, and uh, the decision was made by the company to voluntarily withdraw the products from the market because um, we had a credo that we followed that the number one issue with the company was the safety uh, the concern and safety of the people who use the products. And when that was judged to be problematical, problematical, they were withdrawn from the market. And that was that was common throughout the industry. That wasn't just us. That, that would have happened in the industry. I have a question, Dwayne. Was there a revolving door as there is today between the, the pharma executives and the government health agencies back in your day? Do you know? Revolving door. Meaning they're going back, you know, they go to, they work for Pfizer and they're immediately hired with, by the NIH, NIH or whatever. No knowledge of that. I know in our organization, I didn't know of any of that happening, no. Okay. Well, it, it did happen with uh, Purdue. There was a guy at the FDA who pushed through the Oxycontin uh, at the FDA, <clears throat> pardon me, and then he turned around and was hired. And, and there are revolving doors. It's like Capitol Hill and the members of Congress and the Senate become... Uh, okay. Yes. Happening, sure, but I don't. I don't know of anyone in our company who did that. No, I'm just curious if, if things have changed. That was my point. Oh, I I don't know. Okay, okay. Know. And let's talk about the credo because I think it, it, it's a great example of when you were there. The 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 patient was at the top of the list, yeah. and the stockholders were at the bottom of the list. Do you yeah. think there's a reversal on that in the midst of all this COVID shot rollout? You know, I, uh, I, I can't say for the industry. No, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I hope not. I, I don't know. With J&J, I've never seen, I have not seen in the 20 years since I've left the company and I get the mailings from, from the company. I've not seen anything that would, would challenge the, the credence of the credo. Not at all. I have not, not a thing. Uh, I, I would, I've told people consistently that it's one of the finest organizations I've ever 
been exposed to uh, from top to bottom. So I, I can't say that I would think there's been anything, any change in the structure of the management regarding the credo. How do you feel about the, the heart inflammation information connect? Is it connected to J and J in June? I mean, they, they knew about it. The reports came out in the media. The hospitals knew about it in the emergency rooms. They, they, they pulled the drug for a little bit of time. They put the warning on out there about the heart inflammations because it showed up in the first in the young men. Um, do you think that they should have, they should have, release that information earlier? Or do you believe that they did it because they didn't know about it? I don't for it. I would, uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm gonna go with the benefit of the doubt because of my past history with, with them, mm -hmm. that, that they did that consistent with the credo, consistent with what they know should have done, the, what they should have done in, in, uh, re in relation to that. So I, I'm going to, Give them the credit, the benefit of the doubt on that one. So, have you have you had friends that have been injured following the vax? Uh, no, I do I do not have any friends that I know of that have had uh, anything other than the, the usual little uh, fever and uh, headache after the injection, but nothing nothing severe. So when you have taken a look at this, this is based upon your independent research on um, without any emotions inside. It's just your observations of the past practices, corporate responsibility um, of the ethics of your of your day, and then taking a look at this and, and wondering what is going on at this point in time. Is that right? Yeah, uh, I tell you what, I already had my this whole thing already had my attention. What really got my attention, though, was when I watched the uh, focus group that Senator Johnson had in, in D.C. Mm -hmm. We had both the experts and patients there at that at that uh, event. As I as I watched that unfold, I couldn't do anything but as the people who had been injured about their situations. I sat there shaking my head. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I couldn't believe that here are people who practice good citizenship to do what they have been asked to do to try to stop a um, pandemic. They did it willingly, voluntarily, and were severely injured some of them very, very seriously, as you know. We're, we're talking um, crippling kinds of things, um, long-lasting kinds of uh, physical problems. And they were reaching out for help, to both government and industry, and were being told, or not just told, but ignored by both of them. That really bothered me a lot, because that's not what I would have expected not from either entity, quite frankly. And you, you, you compare that with what we're seeing at our southern border with people flooding in, not required to have vaccines, <clears throat> uh, some of which may be receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars for being here. We have money for that, 
but we don't have money to compensate and help people who really, really need help. They were doing something when they volunteered to be a good citizen. And watching those people describe their situations, especially when the young lady read a letter from a friend who had committed suicide because she could not tolerate the problems created by the vaccine. I couldn't do anything but shake my head and, and wonder what's going on. Something is very, very wrong here. Something is very wrong. And it, it, has to, it has to be corrected. It can't continue like this because the number of adverse events, the number of deaths that have been recorded from these vaccines indicate that there is a significant issue here that has to be addressed. And I'm, I don't see a willingness to have it addressed and I'm not sure it will be addressed. What do you think? What, why do you think this is happening, Dwayne? Do you have any instincts about that from your experience? It would just be guesswork. I, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, I, I think it goes at, to a much higher level and much deeper levels than we even know. It's like a perfect storm of both politically and medically. I, I don't know what what could be the end game uh, for all of this. All I know is not only the adverse events that are happening to people, but when we've gotten to a point that people are being punished for exercising their, their constitutional rights to not receive a medication, they're being relieved of their jobs. They're being threatened with their jobs if they don't. This is not just a medical situation. It never has been. It's, it's much deeper than that. But why, why it's happening, why it's being allowed to happen, uh, I don't know. Did you ever think in your lifetime that you would ever see somebody forcing people to get vaccines? Not in my lifetime. Not in this country. This what we're experiencing is nothing more than tyrannical. And you mentioned infants earlier. First of all, to even think about testing this in children is bizarre enough. But to test it in infants under the age of eight, uh, one year old, that to me is barbaric. I mean, I, I can't imagine that happening in this country. I can't imagine why people are not up in arms about it. I can't even figure, I can't understand why a parent would even submit an infant to a study of a, of a um, injectable medication. It's beyond my, I can't fathom it. It's just, um, it's something that you, know, you struggle with and I don't have an answer for it. Do you have grandchildren? I do, I have five. How old are they? They range from 12 to 17. Are they going to get the injections? They haven't as yet. And I, hopefully they will not. Are your children prepared to take them out of school if necessary? Uh, that's a conversation that we haven't had, but I think we will have. I think it's a, it's a conversation that needs to happen all over the country. Yes. 
we're at that point. So are you are you are you fearful that the that the the timber of this conversation is not going to change at the leadership level and that there's going to be more harm and damage down the road because we're not having this conversation? Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. The longer it goes, the, the worse it's going to get. Uh, in my opinion, I, I would like to think I'm going to be wrong. I'd like to be proven wrong. But what we're seeing out there right now would indicate that it's going to continue. And, you know, the, it's interesting that the more we use, the more we use the vaccine, the worse it's getting. Twenty twenty one, we're having higher levels of COVID cases than we had in twenty twenty without the vaccine. It's, the theory is being in, uh, raised, and I'm attaching myself to that. I think now that as the vaccines are used, it it's causing the production of variants. We used to call them mutations, the, the variant, the Delta variant, whatever. And that's probably a very real possibility that these vaccines are producing variants of the of the virus. You look at states such as Vermont, which is the most vaccinated state in the country, and they are, they're having record levels of COVID patients. How can that be? How can that possibly be happening when when it's a product that's supposed to be stopping the transmission of the disease, stopping the breakthroughs, and it's not helping whatsoever. Those those damn evil unvaccinated. It's all their fault. It's all their fault, yeah. <laughs> we received some reports today in uh, some of the counties in the Los Angeles area where they have high vaccinations. They also have high COVID-diseased individuals, very right. high rates of vaccinations and very high rates of people who are sick now. Right. And people are trying to figure that out. So that that is the you're right. The longer this goes on, we're going to be we're going to be seeing um, a situation that just isn't explainable from what was how this was presented in the very beginning. Yes, not at all. At, 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 and what uh, what should grab everybody's attention, and it's not for some reason. It's vaccines, then the booster another booster, another booster, that that right there in itself should tell people all they need to know. Explain that, Dwayne, because you're saying that from somebody inside the who's been inside the business. Explain that to the average person. Well, first of all, we go back to the way it was presented that this vaccine is going to stop, is, not, is going to keep you from getting the virus. It's also going to stop the transmission of the virus. And now we're, we're at a point that even the, the CDC and other people are admitting that's not the case. It will not prevent you from getting COVID. It will not prevent the transmission. But wait, if you just take a booster, then you've increased your immunity from, from the waning from the, the first shot. Now you take the booster and your, your immune system is back up again. Well, that can't be true because even patients getting the booster are coming down with the, the virus. So if that's happening with the first booster, now you're going to wait a few minutes, take another booster. You're now into the same game as you've been in. You're not getting out. You're not getting out of it. You're just prolonging it. And the question is being asked, how long is this going to go? How many 
boosters are going to be required to stop the virus. If we, if we go on the current basis of what's happening, it's not going to stop. They're going to continue to have boosters from now to how long? I don't know. But that's the projection that the boosters will continue to be uh, recommended from from this point forward. With a with a virus, and we have to keep going back to this, with a virus that has a 99% survivability. We are we we lock down a country, we lock down people, we sent them to their basements, scared to death, wearing masks that don't work. And to combat a disease with a 99% survival rate. Now, I'm not discounting that it's contagious. It is a contagious virus. I give on it. People have died from it. I think many unnecessarily have died from it. People have had reactions, or not reactions, but they've had severe symptoms from the virus. I get that. I don't discount that whatsoever. I had family members who, who had COVID. So I don't discount that whatsoever. What I'm saying is, that we've never acted like this as a country ever in our lifetime. And I think what we did, we, we prolonged it. We made it worse. When, uh, when we sent people to their, to their homes to lock them down, uh, we just exacerbated what was going to happen when they came out of their houses. And that's what we saw happen. Because the, for some reason, the, the authorities did not want to believe or allow herd immunity to kick in. And had they allowed this thing, in my opinion, to progress as we have always done with a viral, we, we dealt with it, we treated it, and it ran its course. All viruses will run, a, will run its course. A virus will do what a virus is going to do, and it will run, it, run its course. And we have treatments, uh, let people live their lives. We ruined people's lives, both economically and physically. Uh, we had adequate uh, products, med medicines that would treat um, this this virus, hydroxychloroquine and, and ivermectin. And that's another issue right there, though. Mm -hmm. both, both of those products were discounted and, and were, were prejudiced against mm -hmm. uh, by people. Um, we, we could have saved a lot of lives by the immediate treatment of the patients with those products, but we did not do it. And that's, but that's a whole other issue too. When you were in the pharmaceutical industry, if a situation had come up like this, what would have been the normal procedures at that point in time as compared to what's happening today? In terms of a virus, yeah. 1968, I, the Hong Kong virus hit in 1968. I had the Hong Kong virus, and it was it was pretty bad stuff. I was out of work for quite a while because it was really bad stuff, and it um, a lot of people died with it. I was young, so I was healthy and all, so I, I did okay. We 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 did not do anything like this at all. Uh, there were no lockdowns. There, there were no uh, masking. There were no six-foot distancing. Uh, we didn't make people stop going to church. Uh, we didn't make people stop going to school. It ran its course. 
people were careful. See, the, the other thing is people in charge don't think people have a have a, a way of wor logically working it through these things. And they and they do. Mm -hmm. If you're sick, you stay away from people. If you know somebody who's sick, you stay away from them. That's right. that's what we've always done in the past. Mm -hmm. And we live our lives and, and it worked out OK. And it, and it would have this time, too. But for whatever reasons, we weren't allowed to do that. But that's what would have happened in the past. That's that's what's happened up until now. We've had pandemics in the last few years. Uh, if not pandemics, there were severe viral uh, infections. But we didn't uh, go into a mode like this at, at all. So this is very, very different. Are you you finding among your friends of your generation that they're having more conversations about that something's really wrong? Yes. Yes. And is that increasing over the course of the last six months? Yes. Yes. Are they having conversations with their children and their grandchildren and then saying that, you know, they remember in the day, like the Hong Kong flu, you know? Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So the upside of this is that maybe the conversations that people should be ha should have had in the past are maybe happening now. About they, they are happening now. It's it's kind of late, but they they are happening. Uh, there's still not enough of them happening. I still know people that, no matter what the evidence is that you present, they still see Dr. Fauci up there and spreading the fear and think, well, I better go get my shot. I just want to be safe. Regardless of the fact that the evidence is there that you're not safe. Uh, hopefully you would be, but if, if, if people are not being prevented from getting COVID after the second injection and then the booster uh, what's it going to take for people to, to start asking questions, real solid questions of why am I doing this? What are we doing? Todd? I don't really have anything else. I think he's yeah. covered it. He's covered the gamut pretty well. Thank yeah. you. I mean, Dwayne, it, it's, it's a great insight to, to where we are because it seems to be that, you know, we may not all have the answers right now, but we know that there's, Something wrong with this picture. Um, yeah. Um, the the um, I, I think that's what a lot of people are saying without getting into the details. There's something very wrong. Something mm -hmm. wrong is happening here. And they're concerned about it. Um, I have, in terms of us as a, as a people, I've been very stunned and disappointed uh, at, at how easy people surrendered their freedom and liberty mm -hmm. for the sake of what they saw was security. And to con even at that, and now to continue to follow the guidance of people that are deceiving them, lying to them, that concerns me uh, greatly. And... Um, I um, I just hope that uh, there's a breakthrough in, in in the information that will cause a lot of people to start just stop think if people just stop and think logically people mm -hmm. people have enough information and enough common sense to put two and two together 
And I'm not saying that everybody at a pharmaceutical company is doing something wrong. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I'm just talking about what are we seeing in the evidence right now in the in the public uh, sphere that could call, that should cause questions. Now I do know this as well, and this is important. God is in control of this. He's in control, and uh, uh, we we don't have to live in fear. Uh, knowing that he's in control at the same time knowing that he also gave us a brain to think with if he gave us a brain brain to think logically and if we do that if we if we think logically we'll know that we we are called to resist evil we were to point out wrongdoing and come to realization that we have First Amendment rights that are not granted by people, they're granted by God. Our Declaration of Independence confirmed the rights that come from God. And we are called to speak out, to resist uh, what we see as wrong. And I hope more people will be speaking out uh, to, in all phases of life, to try to correct what we see as wrong because it is something's wrong. Dwayne, we have some people that we've been talking to inside the pharmaceutical companies in the sales divisions. Mm -hmm. And you were in marketing. And my understanding is that inside those sales divisions and marketing divisions, there is also the research. It's not just knocking on the door and figuring out the PR campaign and 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 who's going to be involved you know the, having the face of a certain drug or a vaccine but the research how does that research in when you were there how does that internal research work where do you get the information from when you were there for i mean when they're in the middle of a trial who oh. feeds you that information inside the pharmaceutical industry okay you're talking about clinical trials now yeah because we're in a clinical trial the safety and the animal testing and nothing's going to be complete before 2022 2023 or 2025. Mm -hmm. um so how does when you're in the inside as, as an executive where does that research come from you mean the research on what's happening with the clinical study mm -hmm. okay it's it's going to come from there there in every company there is a there's part of the company, a division or department that is the, the clinical department. And they they um, head up the, the clinical studies. They are the liaisons, if you will, with the FDA. And um, the studies are done in, in, in um, uh, connection with, with the FDA. And so there are regularly scheduled visits between the someone from the company and FDA to monitor the study, what's happening, anything that needs to be tweaked, anything that says, wait, but we gotta we gotta halt the study or we've got to amend the study somehow or something like that. So those are those happen on a regular basis and then that information is fed back to um, to other people within the organization. It's fed back through marketing, it's gonna be fed fed back through the the um, uh, executives in within the company so they're kept informed of what's happening in each 
of those clinical studies, if that answers your question, yeah. So, so then does that information go up to the board level? I mean, would, would it, could, could one expect logically that it would go up to the board level under the current situation of being a global pandemic coming up with a, you know, shots, vaccines, whatever you want to call them, you know, for all over the world. I mean, how, how does, how does that, I mean, how engaged are the board members? Because at the end of the day, we can all agree that something's wrong, something's different, the, the, proto the same protocols are not being followed. But my question is, where's the accountability at the end of the day? Oh, okay, that's a, that is a great question. Uh, and I should have mentioned that th there's a lot of accountability um, in the departments that's doing the clinical studies with the FDA. There's a lot of accountability there. And uh, also with the, let me, let me give you the experience when I was marketing in marketing with the brand that I was the director of, um, I was very much involved in the clinical studies of that particular product in terms of helping to establish the reason for the study. I would work with the department to um, let them know what it is we're, we're trying to determine, et cetera. And so they, they work up, a, they'd work up a, a study, a protocol. And um, we'd take a look at it, make sure it's covering the, the, po the points that we're interested in. It's then taken to the FDA and the FDA reviews it and uh, makes some com com uh, comments, they make some changes, recommendations, whatever, and then there's agreement on this study and then it's carried forth. And uh, at that point, uh, I would have regular updates from that department that's doing the uh, study as to how it's progressing. And um, uh, I sometimes would even go out in the field with them to, to speak with the investigators doing, doing the study. So the information was coming back to me as the product director. I would then relay the, the information to my boss as much information as I needed to, not, not mm -hmm. the most, but the key information. And so we were regularly tracking the performance of, uh, of that particular study. At, at that point, it, it wouldn't go any higher than, um, than the marketing executives because there's no reason to take it any higher than that. It, it would, that that's high enough. Now, when you're asking the question about now that we're in a situation where we're in a, in a product or a product area, that's getting worldwide exposure, uh, worldwide, uh, both positives and negatives. I would, I would uh, think it'd be hard to believe that people at the highest levels are not being included in that, in that information. It's, it's too big. It's too big. Too big, too big for, for, for everybody not to be in on the game of, of understanding what's going on. Too big. That may be, and and also we have to keep in mind that there's a global distribution of the U.S. pharmaceutical COVID vaccines mm -hmm. shots. Um, but you're right; they're not they're not the traditional vaccines. H have you ever seen uh, or experienced firsthand any situation where there was a major screw up? I'm not going to say whether it's intentional, unintentional, but when, when you were in the business where people said that needs to be pulled, but it wasn't pulled? No, no, no I, ne I ne ne never did experience that, no. 
so your generation, you, you, you believe that you followed the, the credo of putting the patients before the, the, the uh, stockholders. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I never at any moment was that not a, not the issue. No, um, that was always uppermost. Was the the credo we we followed the credo. And I and I tell you one uh, one of the things that bothers me, and I'm I'm not going to. Um, this is not firsthand information. This is what I've been hearing and reading, coming out of the forum as well that the Senator Johnson had. The uh, some of the, I, th I think one or two patients talked about the fact they were in the study. Yes. Then they were dropped out of the study. No, it was Matt. Maddie was just the twelve now thirteen year old little girl. Okay, she was she had signed up in Cincinnati for the Pfizer vaccine and the clinical trials, mm -hmm. um, and her documentation, all of that information was not given, was not included in the study. That's what her mother, Stephanie, attested to during the uh, Johnson, um, the recent John, the, the DC Johnson roundtable. Uh, Bree Dresden was actually in the AstraZeneca, even though AstraZeneca is not distributed here in the United States, Bree volunteered. She got her first shot in the AstraZeneca, I think it was November 4th, uh, 2020. <coughs> Pardon me. And then, um, her life has never been the same. And uh, because she, she's done the peaks and valleys, I mean, it's multiple injuries uh, that, that she's been involved in. And I think that those were the only two, as I recollect, the only two that were in the clinical, Susanna Newell and the man who lost his son. I don't think the man who lost his son uh, was in any clinical trial, but he was a teenager and he yep. had the heart inflammations. And there was another another woman there who had the tremors and the, there were a couple other guys there, but I don't think, I think those the only two were, were Maddie um, and Brie in the clinicals as I recollect. Yeah, and, 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 the, and they were raising the issue, the notion that they participated in the clinical trial, they were injured, but, they're, but they're, they're, the entirety of their information was not included, so they claim at the end of the day. Okay. Taking that on face value, if that happened, and we don't know to what extent, that would be serious. Mm -hmm. It would be very, very serious. Because mm -hmm. when we ran a clinical study, any information that came out of that study, whether positive or negative, was included in the study. Failure to do so, failure, but covering up anything. Mm -hmm. If you fail to disclose something, if you covered up something that was disclosed, that was a serious event. Uh, you would go to jail for that. Is it considered a felony? It was a felony. It is a felony. It is a felony. That okay. is, a, if that's done, uh, we were very careful not to do that because when you when you open up a clinical study, you're opening up a clinical study. You think you know that probably what's going to happen because you know the drug, you know the patient types that you're in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get a surprise. You can get a, some kind of idiosyncratic reaction that you weren't anticipating. Well, you don't cover that up. You include that. Because if you, like I say, if you cover that up, if you hide it, that's not good.
You don't get to cherry pick the information. No, you do not. Yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is. So if that, go ahead. No, go uh, ahead. True. If there was if there was information like that that was that was not included, it was booted out, kicked out, whatever. That's serious. My lights started to go on when when we started doing the the interviews. We hadn't yet done them on camera, um, and, and part of it had to do with timing, and part of it had to do with um, some people aren't ready to do interviews because they're they're in so much trauma and their health is you know they were suffering so much. But my lights started to go on when I started talking to some of the vaccine injured, and I was and some people had lost their spouses or family members. I mean, literally. And, um, but I was so surprised that the pharmaceutical companies were all, all they wanted to know is what was on the death certificate. Yeah. Uh, people didn't know how to report to VAERS. It was too difficult of a process. The doctors didn't want to report. They were telling the, the, the patients to report them, that it wasn't their job. Yeah. Um, the doctors didn't know how to respond to the ailments because they didn't get any protocol directives from the CDC because the FDA hadn't acknowledged some of these multiple injuries. Fauci's people kept on saying to me that these injuries are urban legends um, and reducing them to statistics and saying that if there were 6 million COVID vaccine shots and 325,000 blood clots. There were treatments for blood clots, mm -hmm. but I had done enough of the interviews at that point to know that I hadn't spoken to anybody with just one ailment. Mm -hmm. And that's, and but, but the coldness to the people in the clinical trials by the pharmaceutical companies and these are our people participating in their clinical trials and they're not getting responses. That's what really, really turned my lights on. Yes. Because I would have thought in the middle of a global pandemic with a gene therapy injection um, with a global market because it's a pandemic, and the vine for the contracts overseas with the different companies, the competition between the pharmaceuticals, I would have thought that they would have wanted that information about any injuries by yes, their sure. products. Yes, you certainly think so. Absolutely. And you're, you're a, good, uh, a good point about the, the numbers of relative to the number of patients receiving injection. Say that again, Dwayne. The, the number of VAERS re reports compared to the numbers of patients who received the injection. In other words, if you work it as a percentage, based mm -hmm. on what we, the numbers we have, okay, it becomes a fairly small number, percentage probably. You can look at millions and millions of people who receive the uh, vaccine worldwide and then the numbers of reported events. You have, well, look at the percentage. Well, you know, a lot of, here's a percentage of those who had problems, but look at all those who didn't. Mm -hmm. That's not the issue. We're not talking about dizziness and um, headache and uh, nausea. You know those kinds of side effects are adverse. Those are adverse events, but those are minimal. Mm -hmm. We're 
very, very serious events. Those people at that forum had serious, serious events. That's the issue. It's not just the numbers. It's what is the severity of those adverse events. The other thing we know from VAERS or any reporting of side effects, you're only cap capturing a certain number of those. It's only representative of what's going on because a lot of those are not going to be reported for what, whatever reason. Doctors don't report every side effect they see with a, with a medication. It's just not, that's just not what they do. They say side effects are kind of expected with medications. They happen. So a doctor is not going to run to a report every time they see a patient with a side effect. That just doesn't happen. And there could be other reasons why doctors aren't reporting side effects from injections. And I think we know what those, those reasons would be. Intimidations, threats, whatever, to, to not report that. So we have to consider those numbers as well. So you're, it sounds like you're suggesting that the standards and the, and the, the, the what do they call them? The, the, the uh, standards of practice in the industry is not being followed today the way it was when you were working in the industry. I'll give you an example of what um, we're talking about here. I was talking with a physician, my physician that I had at one point. We have a very good relationship. He's very, very open with me. I saw him one day and I asked him, I said, I asked the doctor, I said, do you think, do you think masks are effective? And he said, ask me that question in a couple of years. Okay, I'm like, that's that's not like him. Mm -hmm. Then ask him, do you think the vaccine is effective? Ask me that in a couple of years. Well, what he's saying is, he's too afraid. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything that would jeopardize my practice. And I understand that because he was part of a group. And they get their they get their uh, guidelines. They're they're pretty much told in something like this what they can and cannot do, whether mm -hmm. that or whether it's using hydroxychloroquine or, or ivermectin to treat the virus. They have their guidelines, so he's not going to jeopardize his standing. And I and I understand that, but that's an example of what I'm talking about. I believe that they're they are so careful now that they just can't, they can't open up like they would like to. Uh, but I do know also that they know, they know what's going on. And that's another thing that bothers me is I, I'm very disappointed in the medical profession as it is because they know. They absolutely, they have to know. And yet they're having to go right along with it. And that's another very major part of this problem. The, Nure the Nuremberg offense or defense that I committed murder because I was told to doesn't work, but it applies here. You know, I mean, if they're given the vaccine and they know they're going to kill people because I was following orders, I mean, these people have to stand up and find some courage. If it takes them losing their practice, that's. that's <clears throat> I've had I've had medical personnel tell me that they wish they did not have to take the vaccine. And they took it anyways because they wanted to keep their job. Their job. And I I understand that. And it's tough. 
that that is tough but you're right there there comes a point in all walks of life people have got to start standing up they've got to start speaking out because otherwise it's just going to go on and on and on yep Dwayne, thank you so much and and thank you for this conversation on the eve of thanksgiving because i think uh we're going to put this up right away because people need to know that they need to start having those, those those hard conversations when their families are together, or even if they're apart and they you know they have phone calls. Um, but thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for reaching out to Michelle and spending the time with us today. Well, very much appreciate it. God bless you and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. Thank